Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I am back. Chaz, as always, accompanied by Richard and Seth. Richard, how are you? Hey, guys, what's going on? Seth, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you guys doing? The crew is here with you. We're all back in attendance on the docket. Everything Pro Tour, so we're going to cover a myriad of things. Just the the tournament in general, uh, coverage. We're going to talk about the limited... uh, (laughs) <laughs> coverage that I'm now more animated about than I thought I ever would be. But yeah, so we're just going to cover everything about the Pro Tour, give our thoughts about all the different aspects of it, and then we're going to segue into a few fish mail, and I think that's about going to cover the cast. One other thing that we wanted to cover is Randy Bueller's retirement from the coverage booth. Big news, Randy has given so much to the community, so we all want to give our thoughts about that as well. We're going to take some time to reflect on that and hope uh, Randy goes on to something great and wish him all the best. So we're going to take some time for that, too. But to the Pro Tour, just overall thoughts, and then we'll get into the more specific stuff. Richard, what did what did you think? Uh, so it was good that Bant Company didn't ruin the tournament like everyone thought. Uh, we had a myriad of decks. We had Delirium decks. Uh, we had Emrakul decks. We had Bant Company. We had the eventual winner, White Black Control. So there was a good mixture of decks, although if you really break it down, it's really like Liliana decks and Emrakul decks and Bad Company, but it, it was pretty entertaining. It was a big flavor win. The the finals came down to Liliana versus Emrakul, like they drew it up uh, in the storyline. So overall, it was a pretty sweet pro tour. We got to see a lot of cool new things, and uh, Standard is not what people saw from the SEG tour, but I suspect people are going to get pretty sick of Emrakul pretty fast, and... We're going to enter all Jazzy Winter 2. That's that's my guess. Luckily, the winter won't last too long because already October is over the horizon. But, yeah, Seth, what, what did you think of the tournament? Just overall thoughts, and then we'll get to more specifics. Uh, overall, the tournament I thought was extremely good and entertaining. I was especially impressed that we saw so much new stuff on a non-rotation Pro Tour. When there's rotation, we normally expect a big shakeup in decks, but this isn't a rotation. Like You could still play all the best decks from Shadows Over Innistrad standard, but we still saw a ton of new things, a ton of new cards, and... Even the old decks, other than Bant Company, which still looks like Bant Company, but like Green Red Ramp looked a lot different and was playing a lot of different cards thanks to some of the additions from Eldritch Moon. So overall, uh, other than the time zone thing, which I'm not going to mention again, it was a really good pro tour. One of one of my favorite pro tours in recent years. Yeah, I, I agree with your analysis here, Seth. I mean, it was... It was great. I loved watching it from start to finish. All the rounds were pretty compelling. I love how they are have been incorporating this sort of we don't show like ten rounds of bad company. <laughs> like they actually take viewership like into consideration. They sh- try to showcase as many decks you know possible, especially the ones that are kind of off the radar and new. And yeah, it was just a really jam packed top eight in terms of just skilled Magic players. It was a flavorful win. We had Gatewatch, we had Avison, we had Emrakul, we had Liliana, Horde, Zombies. I mean, we had everything from the regular Gatewatch to Brian David Marshall's West Coast Gatewatch, which I thought was really uh, funny because some uh, Lucas Bohan was playing the like the reject six man like Sorin Obnixilis, like all these other planeswalkers that haven't taken the oath but 
Yeah, overall, I thought it was great. Obviously, <clears throat> and Seth, you'll probably get into this a little more, but the coverage was, some of it was lacking, but overall it was good enough, I think. And just, yeah, the experience overall was fantastic. Definitely, I agree with you, one of the better Pro Tours in recent memory, uh, just in terms of all those aspects. So remember maybe a month ago we're sitting here and people are saying, you know, how good can an extra turn be if your opponent takes an extra turn afterwards? <laughs> and we saw people get absolutely wrecked by Emrakul, like yep. five for one, six for one. Uh, Emrakul did a lot of work and it's funny oh, yeah. hearing those conversations and I'm guilty of this. Uh, a month ago we're like, Liliana, meh. You know, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, mill two, draw, draw a creature? Is that really good enough? And again, Wrecking face, Liliana the Last Hope, you know, maybe even more impactful than Liliana the Veil during Standard. She was in every deck, and you just put her down on turn three in Ultimate and watch them struggle against the Horde of Zombies. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it turns out we stuck at card evaluation. Tamio disappeared. Tamio was relegated as sideboard tech, uh, for LSV. And Ishkana, Green Lingering Souls, uh, everywhere. Yeah. Clogging up the board, making people's lives miserable. Green Lingering Souls, that's all I gotta say. It actually yeah. looked exactly like Lingering Souls. That drove me crazy that there were so many decks that were playing Ishkana that didn't play one single uh, stupid black uh, source of mana so they could drain their opponent out. They're uh, playing ways to tutor for lands, get them from their graveyard, play one black dual land, play one one single copy, and then you could potentially win a lot of games that way. So that's the thing I, that annoyed yeah. me about Ishkana. I thought so, too, especially some games. I mean, you had an Ishkana, just Ishkana and her ability would have been able to take out a player at one life. I mean, literally that it came down to those scenarios. And it's like, oh, my, why is this happening? <laughs> why did you do this? Like, oh, you're playing like five different colors already. You can't just throw a black in there. Uh, but, yeah, we digress. So let me ask you, I, we're not so bad at card evaluations. We we knew about Thalia's Lancers. Okay, we did pretty well this time. Actually, this time we, we did got, really we well. Good I think overall, yeah. Voldaren Pariah. I I had a feeling about that card. I don't know why. I but hey, it did some work. Uh, but let me ask you. So, pet deck of the tournament. What really jumped out at you? What would you going into the next few weeks, especially just until rotation? Like, what would the deck from the Pro Tour be that you would sleeve up and play? Until October. What I would sleeve up would probably be white-black control or a delirium, like green-black delirium. Right. But the sweet deck was actually the zombies deck. Hunted dead, yeah. disrupted playable. Yeah, <laughs> right? Cryptbreaker, the goldfish official spoiler. That oh, deck had sweet yes. synergies. And it's zombies. Like, how can you not like it? So I I really like that deck. And Prize Amalgam continuing to beat face in standard and modern. So mm -hmm. that, that deck seemed really sweet. Although I don't know how well-positioned it is. It seems a little shaky, uh, especially with all the Lilianos running around to kill your Crypt Breakers, but <laughs> right. that deck was super sweet. Right, so Sam, when they did... I'll get to you in a second, Seth, but Sam uh, said it it destroys Band Company, but <laughs> everyone's not playing Band Company. So uh, what version would you like to play? Because there were a few of them. Is like the four-color Dredgemore your style, where you get to play some amount of like Kozilex Return and Elder Deep Fiend, or just a straight-up like blue-black Zombies? Uh, I like the blue-black zombies we saw in round 16, it was, I think. Right. At the very end there, 
Daniel Daniel Cathro. Uh, he was playing Owen Turtenwald. He was playing a winning in against the best player in Magic early, so that that kind of sucked for him. But the deck looked really sweet and super grindy, and every turn he was just recurring his entire graveyard. Uh, he couldn't get through the Emeralds, but it, it was still pretty sweet. Yeah, Seth. Uh, this is actually a hard one because there is a few sweet under the radar decks. Um, the the four color merge deck, the Dredgy one, is really cool. The Naya legendary deck, where you're using Thalia's Lancers to tutor up like a million really cool one ofs, was really sweet. But the one that sticks out is Pedro Carvalho, who went nine and one playing. Uh, thermo thing burn yes. essentially. You just like slam a fevered visions, uh, draw a bunch of cards, tap and untap your thermo alchemist. So apparently, uh, the deck is pretty good if it went nine and one and constructed at the Pro Tour. So that one really stuck out as being unique. It it almost looks like one of the the Sphinx's tutelage decks we've played in the past, except instead of Sphinx's tutelage you're actually being a little bit more aggressive and using Thermal Alchemist to burn your opponent out when you're playing all these spells rather than trying to mill with uh, your card draw. Right. Yeah, it's... You you stole my thunder. I would definitely <laughs> choose that list. It was awesome. As someone who shredded the pre-release and the two-headed giant pre-release events with Thermo Alchemist, I mean, how can I say no to this? And somehow I always end up playing that card. I just did a draft off topic, like last week, drafted Thermo Alchemist again, and I just I don't understand. I'm like, why does this card always come to me? I I need to pick it. Like I can't pass on it. So yeah, definitely would be playing that deck. Uh, it's doing some really interesting things, like you said, Fever Visions, Collective Defiance is I think a, a kind of a a card that came out of left field and was not just used in this deck. Some of the ramp lists. Akin to what we saw before this, right, uh, Seth, with the the goggles list, and they were playing like Tormenting Voice, they were playing Magmatic Insight. This is sort of like another one of those cards that has sort of found a way, like a, a niche role in some of these lists where you can kind of just pitch your hand. It helps with Delirium. You know, you get another shot at your hand. You can deal some damage to some creatures or players. It, I think it's just an all-around really good role-player card. Yeah, that card is very good. I think it's it's maybe still underrated uh, because at the worst case, it's a like slightely more expensive Searing Blaze or Searing Blood, which is just a powerful effect to kill a creature. It kills Grim Flare even after you have Delirium, uh, so it does a lot of good things. And the ability to discard your hand is sneakily powerful. So I think that card is uh, has some more applications than we've figured out so far. Yeah, speaking of Grim Flare. Are you still not convinced that the Grim Flare version is likely the better of the versions going forward? I, I know you still like lukewarm on that card and that version for some reason. Well, in my defense, if you listen to some of the pros talking, that was okay. a big debate among the teams even like that were playing these decks. Some players really think the card's bad. Other people went for it. But... If you look at the numbers, most of the best-performing Green-Black Delirium decks were Grim Flayer builds. So I will admit that it is better than I thought. I'm still not 100% sold, but it is better than I gave it credit for. Fair enough. Richard, is there any specific card that you'd like to highlight that you thought you... Wait, that you saw that you didn't think you would see or just performed so much better than you originally thought it would? Liliana? 
the obvious ones are Lilian and Ishkana. Okay. Uh, summary dismissal. I think we'll see uh, a lot okay. of that coming in the future. We saw it do a ton of work, you know, countering Eldrazi plus their trigger. Uh, so that that's a neat little package. Back in the day, Control would beat Ramp because Ramp would just sit around, ramp up. They try to cast their big finisher, and then you just counterspell it and win the game. Uh, they try to get around that by giving you cast triggers. But now Summary Dismissal brings it back the other way. So one one card will handily clean up everything. So maybe we'll see a lot more of that going forward in the metagame. Something that's just absolutely stunning to me is... Emrakul, which I thought was very good, and I was one of its biggest supporters when some other people weren't fans of it, but half of the decks that put up six wins or better were playing Emrakul. It's a 13-drop, and literally half of the decks are playing Emrakul. So why I thought it was good, I didn't think we'd see Emrakul be in half of the decks in the field. Like That just is insane to me for a 13-drop that is going to probably cost at least eight mana when you actually cast it. Yeah, it's just insane. I uh, maybe maybe it's just because we're older players, but I mean, I know what Mind Slaver can do, okay? And it, it, we've been talking about this. We all were pretty high on Emrakul and saying, you know, this card is definitely powerful. Like this taking po- opponent's turns for those of us that have been through the first Marodin block with Mind Slaver. I mean, just like 10 mana just for the artifact alone was like brutal i mean people were losing to that card back in the day and now it's attached to a 13 13 with flying with evasive like evasiveness with abilities on it like it can get down to seven mana which is less than a kickered mind slaver originally i mean there was really nothing i don't understand where the disconnect was like yeah they take an extra turn but they're the game's over like they're going to get blown out so I don't know. It, it, like you said, Seth, it's just astounding. Like you definitely were one of the supporters we supported here on the cast, but just the sheer volume of Emrakul, I think, really was r- still surprising to me. Like just how many decks were just playing Emrakul in a various many ways. Yeah, that's the that's the part that stuck out to me. I thought Emrakul would be good and would see play, but. Half the decks is a lot for any right. eight mana card. So that's the part that struck me is just how many different decks were playing it, which is really impressive for a card like Emrakul. Yeah. So let's get to the nitty gritty. Let's get to the more kind of professional criticism and just some of the, the things that we also wanted to touch on. So a couple things here that I wrote down first is... You know, some of the coverage issues that I know you wanted to bring up, Seth, and, and you as well, Richard. Like, some of the, for those of you that watched, like, there were some glaring, <laughs> glaring, I guess, glaring issues with the limited coverage in general. Just like you couldn't see what they were drafting. And I th- that's just like a huge, that's just unacceptable. And again, like, one of the best pro tours I've seen in a long time. Kudos to Wizards for everything, like, with the flavor and all that. But that's just unacceptable. I mean, We've talked about it this time and time and time again about esports and like branching out to a more to more viewers and stuff like that. I mean, when you can't even see the cards that they're drafting, I mean, like, what's the? I mean, there's no even point to like do it. So I, I guess that's where we ended up with people people saying, "Oh, we should get rid of like limited. It's so boring." I think Brian Keebler, as well as yourself, Seth, has talked about like just removing limited altogether from Pro Tours. I don't know if we should go that far, but I wanted to get your taste before that because, I mean, it's just 
ah, I can't, I can't think of like just removing it flat out like that. So go ahead, uh, Richard. What did you did you want to chime in on some of the things that uh, you had some criticism about? I'm on the removal in its current state part of the divide. Here, here's the problem. I think Brian Kibler pointed this out. It's I don't know what time it was. You know, in the middle of the night, right? Pro Tour is about to start. Everyone's hype, right? Everyone's like, yes, let's see what all the new cards are. Let's see what's going on. You know, what 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 is the new format going to be? Whatever. And then we sit down and we get two hours of some guy sitting in a chair looking at cards. Not only do we have a draft that takes a long time, we have the deck building part, which they show another draft. And part of the problem is you can't read any of the cards they're showing. Uh, even if you could, it's just, they're just choosing cards. And unless you're intimately familiar with the format, you don't understand the importance of their choices or like what they're actually doing. And it's just a bunch of guys reading cards. Right? It's kind of boring. I want to, I want to see magic being played i want to see creature combat i want to see the new interactions but we don't see any of this right we didn't even get to see meld or anything until way further down when they had those you know in design showcases or whatever so it just kind of takes the air out of it it's just not entertaining they, they should somehow fast forward through all of this <laughs> and uh if they want to keep limited around figure out a way to get gameplay up first right as opposed to just watching people sitting in chairs looking at cards well, I mean, that's a super easy thing to do if they're going to do that. Just take and uh, somehow record the drafts ahead of time. Like, they do one of the drafts on tape delay anyway. Uh, jump right into a match and then show the drafts in between matches while we're waiting for the rounds to finish instead of just talking about random things. So I think it would be easy to to fix it to make it a little more compelling right from the start. But for me, the big issue with Limited is it's just a lot of complexity for new players and new viewers. With Constructed, the, the card pool is relatively limited, and in the decks there's four of each, and even though there's new decks, you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what's going on in a deck and what the, the plan of a deck is pretty quickly, but you don't really have that in Limited. A lot of Limited decks are like, oh, I'm two colors, and I'm just like playing the best cards I could pick in these colors, so you don't really have a theme or a synergy to follow along with. So I think there's some complexity issues for new viewers that are just part of how limited is. And that's what kind of makes me wonder if it's good for pro tours in specific. And I guess the question is, what's the goal of the pro tour? Like who is this coverage for? Is this for uh, to get people like me and you and Chaz to watch it? Or is this for, uh, the random person who stumbles along and is like, wow, what's this magic game that has 15,000 people watching it on Twitch? Maybe I'll check that out. So I guess uh, that's part of the question as well for me. Right. And those are, and those are all valid like criticism. And I, and I do agree with some of them. And I think the, the remedy that you both brought up with, you know, you, you pre-record the draft and then you just jump right into draft games. And then like, like you said, Seth, you can, you can have some sort of segments between matches where you get to watch the live draft. There was also a segment, I don't know how long this has been going on, I think the last few Pro Tours, where you had someone like Randy Buer or someone from the booth interviewing one-on-one -on -one with like Reed Duke and going through their picks and like kind of explaining, like, oh, well, why did you take this? Well, why did you take that? But actually like emphasize that a little more and not just like speedily like run through like boom 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 i'm like i'm picking this because you know why not like look it's a bomb like you all should know that by now well i you know i might know that but 
like you said, if this is for other people, like they're not going to know that. Like you need to have that explained a little bit more. They're pros, so you have to kind of like coax them into like, well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And I think that's still really beneficial. Like Magic is a complex game, but you can't just remove an ins- an entire segment just because it's boring or like it's not as exciting. I mean, I-, I understand it's complex, but that's how a lot of players get into Magic is by drafting or by sealed or a pre-release, like which is sealed and or draft. I mean, th- there's so many players have to get into the game like that. That's mostly how I got into the game. As long as I like, trying to do constructed events, which I like, I don't even know how that worked, but like I can't even remember that. But you know, I remember sitting there drafting and learning, and like, yeah, I would lose, but you know, that is still so you're getting so much value extracted out of that segment that you know you go back to what Richard said, where you have to remove it in the current state. I totally agree with that, but I don't think removing it just because it's boring or you know people can't follow it because it's complex is really that great of an argument because. You know, what else are you going to show then? 16 rounds of standard? I mean, you know, that's an aspect of the game that so many people can relate to and get into the game. I don't think removing it entirely is is the right thing to do. My my counter-argument would be that Wizards already knows this and agrees because they have almost 100% cut limited GPs off the coverage schedule because people don't, find watching limited compelling so in the gp level wizards has have come to the solution of we just won't show limited gps very infrequently uh will they show one like right after new sets release they might cover one of them so i think wizards knows that there's some problems with limited on coverage uh and whether or not the answer is to get rid of it i'm not going to I can't say for sure. I'm not firmly in the we have to get rid of limited camp, but I am firmly in the the way it's going now isn't good for coverage, and it's it's hurting. The whole reason they're having a pro tour is to put on this big spectacle. It'll advertise the game and all this stuff, and it's taking away from their overall goal of making a compelling coverage environment for the pro tours. Right. And I totally get that. My my the, another point I wanted to bring up is I understand the whole spectacle thing and a part of the pro tour, I guess one of the storylines is that they they like to talk about R&D too and like where that's why they bring on like Ian Duke and stuff like that, like where they were going with these new sets. They want to showcase an Eldritch Moon in this in this sense. And all these sets are built from the ground up to be played in limited, right? I mean, if we're not showcasing this set for limited in a pro tour that i mean like why are we even what's the point of even making them for limited at all i mean what if we can't see it drafted i mean there's so much you're learning from i think from a pro tour than just watching someone stream you know some random like eight like just some random draft on moto or something like that i mean these are all pro players i mean this is uh, presumably the top of the magic community in terms of skill level you know they're not just randomly queuing moto or you know just at some shop randomly streaming like a draft with some random people i mean you're you're learning a lot that you can't learn in other ways uh so i might say this again uh throughout our (laughs) our podcast this week (laughs) but my problem is i don't have a lot of faith in wizard's improving coverage because they have shown us time and time again so in an ideal world 
I think there would be a way that they could keep limited, like you're saying, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. It does advertise the new set, and uh, there are new players. That's a good way to get into the game if you don't have a collection. So I agree with that stuff, but I just don't have faith that Wizards is going to actually figure out a way to do limited coverage and make it good. And if it's a choice between sitting there for two and a half hours while we wait for the first gameplay to start <laughs> and right. not having limited, it might be the better of two bad options just to not have limited. So Seth is going for the field medic approach here. You know, if, if we were in a big city and we're in a hospital, we could probably <laughs> cure your arm. But since we're in the jungle and I have nothing, we're just amputating it. Yeah, basically. it's over. Richard, uh, you haven't chimed in yet. What, what, give us some thoughts. I mean, I pretty much agree with Seth. Uh, you know, limited is very important. It's a part of the game, and Wizards really wants to push it, but it's just so boring to watch, right? Like, I, I think you could draw parallels with this in football, where a lot of people will watch a 3-0 game and throw their hands up and be like, wow, that was garbage. But other people, the the defensive purists would be like, oh, yes, what a great defensive battle. <laughs> yes. But no one wants to watch that, <laughs> That's right? Me. Like, the That's majority me. of people <laughs> don't want to watch that, and you're heavily outnumbered. So every year, the NFL tries to change the rules to encourage oh. offenses, right? Because that's what viewers want. They want, you know, bombs right. down the field. They want touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. And they don't want to see people just doing incompletions and running for two yards, right? And I, I feel that's the limited <laughs> part of Magic. It's very important okay. to the game. You can't play without defense. But people don't really want to watch it, right? So I, I think there are things you can do. One of the biggest complaints I have about limited is you spend an hour watching someone draft, you watch them play round one, and then you never see them again. You skip to other players. Like, a narrative of how, you know, their train wreck, train wreck draft actually went through the entire three rounds would be much more entertaining. Like, I think just following one person, like LSV, through his entire draft, regardless of how good or bad he does, I think would improve it. Because that would at least give you a storyline. It would okay. give you familiarity with the decks. Right by round two or round three, you know what his win cons are. You know what he's trying to draw to. Whereas right now we're just like, oh, whatever. After round one, he lost. Just go to, go to someone else. Right, go to the top tables. So a lot of this is still coming like predicated on the fact that like it's just the coverage or just limited in general. If like is it both like both equally or more coverage than it is limited? Like, would you still watch limited if like what says said in a perfect world where the coverage goes way up probably not <laughs> oh. I, I think seth's argument of complexity holds true but given that limited is so important in the game wizards will want to showcase this so as long as they're going to showcase it we might as well make it as best as possible uh, but i know right. your suggestion was to do a beginner stream and an advanced stream uh what stream would i watch would i really watch a beginner stream right i know how magic works i just don't know what all the new cards are Right, so do I want to hear someone explain summoning sickness to me? No, right. But if I watch the advanced stream, you know, I don't know what the fifth best uncommon in the format is. I don't know what that three drop right. you just played was. I didn't study the spoilers and the arts and you know memorize everything. So what stream would I actually watch? Right. So it's really hard to nail it down. You actually have three categories of people: like total beginners, uh, advanced magic players that know all the new cards, and advanced magic players that don't know any of the new cards. And just splitting into three streams would be quite fragmented. And even within those groups, there will be other groups like, you know how to play Magic, but you haven't played in the last five years. Which stream do you watch? <laughs> right? So right. It's, it's just really complicated. There's just so many cards. You can't read them. They do 
increasingly complex things, right? Like, we didn't even see meld on the battlefield at any point in time. We only saw it in the R&D segments. But if that were to happen, just, like, just there's just so much complication that I don't think they can cover it all. Okay, so let me... I, I, I made the, the point to, to make a comparison here. And I guess this comparison kind of puts it in a little bit of perspective for me. So, like, when people are watching, like, a MOBA game, right? And, and I just bear with me. So those games are all very, very complex, too, under the surface. But they're, like, really flashy. Like, you get, like, you know, hype, like, commentators when things, like, going off. Like, you see all these crazy spells and, like, things are happening. So it's generally, like, you could watch it. You may not know what's going on. It's like football, like you said, Richard. Like, you can watch it. You might not know every little thing. You might not know who the quarterback is or what position players are who. But you can still watch a game and kind of understand what's going on. Same with the MOBA. But one of those games, like, doesn't that just, like, watching a game like that, like, and then you watch a game like Magic. You talk about limited being boring. I mean, wouldn't just Magic in general be boring? I mean, like when you when you can sit and watch a game like a MOBA and you have no idea what's going on about like let's say Dota two for example, and this is just talking about just general esports thing. Like you don't know what the the, the support's doing. Like he's stacking creeps. Like the people might not even know what that is. Like all you know is like people are just doing stuff. Like. Do we just still like remove an entire segment of magic and just like focus on just sixteen rounds of standard just because like I mean at that point it's all boring, isn't it? Like I mean I would much rather I mean I love magic, but I mean I mean sometimes watching magic even like standard is really boring. I mean, imagine if you get sixteen rounds of bant company, wouldn't you like at least want some rounds of limited at that point? You're like, wow, I wish there was like some rounds of something else to, like break this up the monotony of like Bant Company. I mean, maybe it's just that this pro tour just happened to be great, but there's some pro tours where it's like, if I watch one more Bant Company like mirror match like this over like the course of like eight rounds, I, I'm gonna blow my brains out. Like, I, you know, I think though that there's there's a third option. Like, you can get rid of limited. Uh, not saying that's the best thing to do. We're we're still debating it. Right, and like right. I said, okay. I'm not firmly in that camp. But if we got rid of limited, we wouldn't have to just do 16 rounds of standard. There's a lot of cool things they do at Worlds or even how SCG does their invitationals where you have split formats. Maybe you could have three rounds of modern or legacy. Maybe you could have cube draft or eternal masters draft like there's a lot of different things you could do in that slot i guess the draft idea isn't great because we're talking about getting rid of limited and that just makes <laughs> yeah. it worse but cube is even like more confusing because now you're talking about like cards no one even knows but i mean there are other yeah. formats we could play in that slot not not cube that was a bad idea but, but we could do other things instead of just all standard but again here's the argument i mean we and we even talked about it on this cast we don't want modern either we don't want legacy like we don't want those either so like every single pro tour is just like what 10 rounds of standard or 15 rounds of standard or what have you i mean i don't know i just feel like we just keep removing stuff and not adding adding anything back and then it's just like what now? We're, then we're just going to complain that it's 15 rounds of a boring standard where we watch one deck just like dominate. If that just happens to like happen in a pro tour, which which can happen, I mean, it's like we're running out of stuff to showcase, folks. Like, I, I think a compromise, uh, you know, maybe you know, a section of limited, a section of modern, and a section of standard. That's a thing, or uh, maybe a section of draft, a section of sealed. And you know, two sections of standard. Okay. Like there, there are different things they can do. The one thing I like about Pro Tours is it showcases who's the best 
quote unquote complete magic player. player. Got right? It, you right. you can't suck at limited and be a constructed mastermind and you know win the pro tour. You got to be good at both. That's one aspect I like. Uh, but you could also make that same argument of modern and standard, I guess. Like, you're good in both formats. Uh, but the limited one holds stronger. But it is boring to watch. Uh, maybe having sealed would somehow fix it a bit. Uh, because it's, I really it's, like that it's idea. It's a different limited format. And it's one that everyone plays. When you go to limited GP, it's sealed. Unless you are lucky enough to make it to uh, day two uh, or the top eight and stuff like that, you're, you're not going to get to play draft. Uh, so maybe sealed is the answer, although some of the problems carry over, but at least deck construction I think would be more interesting than watching someone try to draft. Right. Uh, but that's Yeah, I really option. like that idea. Yeah, because, I mean, like just piggybacking on what you said, I love that idea because then the focus is on, okay, well, this person opened up this and this and this. I mean, there's going to be some obvious choices, but you get to see how certain pros can build from a set pool rather than like drafting. You might not know what certain cards do that i think if you can change that emphasis to just the deck building i think that's like you said way more entertaining i really like that oh really <laughs> i think i think Seth watching i think watching oh, someone man. draft is way more interesting than watching someone open six packs and build a deck out of it but that's just me personally the my favorite part actually of limited coverage is watching people draft i actually enjoy that part Way more than I enjoy the limited I, game. I mean, I do too, but I mean, we're, again, we're trying to find a compromise here. So, I mean, we're throwing out ideas. I don't know if any of them will happen, but we'll see. Well, I mean, at the very least, get sleeves that don't have glare. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that, like, even the commentators can't even read the cards. And we're all just yeah. like, oh, I can't see any of the cards, but we'll just see they're all bad. Yeah, that I, that's, just, that's just unacceptable. I mean, that's just bare minimum, like, you, that needs to happen. That's just unacceptable. I mean, Seth and I talked about this before, cast too. I mean, that's just we talk about esports. We talked about it on this cast like so many times esports and broadening viewership. I mean, you have you can't have that. Like, that's just like bare minimum stuff. That the, the problem, the thing that bothered me the most about that is it made me feel like Wizards just doesn't care. Like they talk about improving right. coverage, they want to make coverage better, but something like that that just to me, what that the message it sent was, we don't actually care about our coverage enough to sit down and do a dry run for 10 minutes to see what it actually looks like on the stream. Right. Like, when I set up our Goldfish stream, me and Richard both got online and, like, <laughs> looked at the stream. was like, oh, maybe we should move this over here, and this doesn't look good. Like, do you really not do that when you're doing a pro tour, your premiere event for the entire year? Like, so that's that's how I felt about the glare issue. It was just... I don't know how you can do that and expect to be taken seriously as an eSport or a streaming event or anything. Yeah, I mean, come on, Wizards. We actually do a pre-show. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) If we could do it, you guys could do it. (laughs) Has any pro ever, like, taken the card out of the sleeve to read the back? (laughs) Like, how do you even read the back? So if if that's the case, why not just replace all the double face cards with checklist cards? Okay. And then draft unsleeved. Right. Does, does that not work? Like, that seems reasonable. And yeah. if you're drafting at the Pro Tour and you need Oracle text, then call a judge. Right? And that's it. <laughs> Got right? it. Got and it. Yeah. You would remove the sleeves altogether. You could use those checklist cards. Uh, good luck to the commentators trying to pick up what those cards are <laughs> without the art. But that, that would make the glare issue for the rest of the cards non-existent. I mean, it's like watching, like, a giant, like, MOBA, like, a huge invitational for, like, League of Legends or, like, Dota or something like that. Like, 
they just focus in on the one guy having like a blue screen. <laughs> you know, it's like, and here's the tournament, folks. He's just blue screen the whole time. All right. To be fair, stuff like that actually happened, but no, it does. there was improvement, and now we don't have that anymore. Whereas Magic right. kind of just is uh, as is. <laughs> all, yeah. all, also, and I know. I understand that things happen. I have had my internet go out and the streams crash, so I'm not too hard on stuff like that. But it was really funny that we were in this intense semifinals match in game five, getting right up to like the critical turns to end the game. And all of a sudden, someone cut away to like Ian Duke walking around <laughs> like backstage, not knowing, like, see, really? Like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh. So that was just like classic. Wizards coverage there. Little hiccups, you know. <laughs> Classic <laughs> wizard hiccups right there. No no big deal. Yeah, I mean, so I think that puts, like, the, the period on, on that. Uh, any kind of final thoughts uh, on anything? I mean, like I said, I mean, all criticism aside, we like to be critical. I mean, I think criticism is just how things get better. And overall, again, I, I overall, I thought it was a great experience. Great pro tour, rather. Uh, so, I've, kudos. I think... It was a great pro tour, and the coverage probably isn't as bad as we're making it sound. Right. It's more just the disappointment that we keep getting promised huge improvements, and we're not seeing that pay off yet, I think. Yes. Yes. Richard? Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. You know, it, w it was viewable. It, it was good, right? <laughs> okay. And right. Had we not had all these lofty expectations, like I was expecting time-shifted matches, I was expecting all these great new things, and it was just kind of the same old. So that that was a disappointment. And then the glare just kind of put it over the top. But without the glare, it's just a pretty standard pro tour. Uh, not Nothing too crazy in terms of coverage, but the, the storylines, you know, Owen Turtonwald, uh, getting player of the year, and, you know, Hall of Fame induction, all that stuff, all the new decks, that kind of put the pro tour over the top and made it super enjoyable. Uh, coverage itself was like, eh, it was nothing too new, but, you know, nothing crazy. All right. Before we get into fish mail, Randy Buer is retiring. I will open it up to both of you to just say some thoughts. Uh, you know, just a Hall of Famer, just great view on the game, passionate about Magic the Gathering. One of the people that, I mean, I played the game a long time, Seth, you and Richard, as you were, as you, Richard, has played the game a long time. And it's just someone that, we've grown accustomed to and it's just it's going to be kind of weird not having randy there in the coverage uh going forward so just wanted to open it up to both of you richard yeah i think a lot of people will recognize that this is probably better for coverage you know a lot of people weren't happy with randy in coverage but you know there's no doubt like how much he brought to the game like i still remember uh back when i first started watching magic uh, you, you download these little zip files on the Wizards website because streaming wasn't a thing. Uh, you open up Real Play or whatever, and you load up Pro Tour Honolulu, and Randy is just there commentating, super enthusiastic, making the game super exciting. Uh, so we're gonna miss that, you know. As the weekend went on and the the, the news kind of set in, uh, I got a little sad, right? Like Randy's been at like literally every Pro Tour ever, and now we're not gonna see him. So hopefully they. They get him a, a an analyst role or something like you know in between rounds, uh, having him chime in that would be cool. Uh, but it's it's kind of sad. It's an end of an era for Magic. Like he's literally been there the entire time. So now he's not yeah. going to be there. So the next Pro Tour is going to be a little weird. 
Yeah, I I was also find uh, I also found myself feeling a little bit sad about it. And for me, the biggest thing with Randy, and I kind of tweeted about this, is some people like him. A lot of people don't like him. But the one thing no one can really disagree on is that. Randy really loves the game of magic, and that's the thing I really like about Randy. Yes, sometimes he doesn't know what some of the new cards do when he's doing commentary. Yeah, there's this and that that you can be critical about, but I can overlook some of that stuff just because I know that he really cares about the game, and he has a really infectious enthusiasm about the game. So I, too, hope that he can still stay involved in some form, and it probably is a fine move to get some fresh blood in as far as going through the actual matches from the booth. But I really want Randy to stay part of coverage in some form because he has a perspective that no one else in the entire world has having played in the first pro tours covering pro tours since 1998. That's almost 20 years. He's been at every pro tour and he's just such a wealth of knowledge and history. And for me, that's part of what makes magic unique in a world of hearthstones and hex is we have this really long history and that's part of the appeal of the game for me. And I don't want to see the game lose those voices. Uh, And Randy is one of the best as far as that is concerned with the history and having been there for Magic's great moments of the past. Well said, Seth. Uh, yeah, like I said, some, for someone that has played the game a long time, I mean, even you know, back when Brian David Marshall was hosting events at like Neutral Grounds back when you know in New York and stuff like that as I was growing up, I mean, Randy has always been part of the game as far as coverage even goes back. I mean, it's just something that us older players... And like you said, Seth, it's just like a kind of piece of history that Magic and this and and Randy, as as someone who's just covered the game such a long time, and just right, no one can dis can disagree on his passion for the game. Yeah, people can be critical about this, that, and the other thing, but overall, I mean, Randy was passionate about the game, and it's just sad. It's going to be a little weird not to have Randy on the uh, in the booth doing coverage for Pro Tours anymore, but. Best of luck to you, Randy. Hope uh, your next endeavor is great, and you have a lot of respect uh, at this crew here, buddy. So maybe, maybe we'll see him use his Hall of Fame invites and play at the next Pro Tour. Now oh. he doesn't have to do coverage. Right, Maybe yeah. he gets back on the... I guess he already is on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could certainly happen. So best of luck. Hope everything turns out great for you, buddy. All right, fish mail? All right. Uh, we have three fish mail this week, I think. Uh, first one from at Coyote Victoria. Uh, new Phyrexia Tezzeret spiked after modern unbannings. Price is still declining. I want to set for myself. How much longer should I wait? Um, I'm actually looking <laughs> it up to see what the price is right this minute. Yeah, I think it. I think it's actually settled back down to somewhat where it used to be before the huge spike. So, like it, the seventeen dollar range or something like that. Uh, so what I'm seeing here is it started at 15. It spiked okay. up to about 45 at a peak, Oof. and now it's back down to 23 at okay. TCG Mid. And I think you can probably find if you search eBay and stuff, and probably get a couple dollars less than that, maybe 20 dollars. So I would say that I wouldn't expect it to go much lower than this. It had consistently been 15 dollars for years. Yeah. prior to the spike and there's no reason that it should go back down below where it was before uh until there's an actual reprinting or something right i, I agree i mean bearing a reprint or just uh 
more stagnation. I mean, it might drop a little bit more, but like I said, said I, I doubt it'll be any lower than it ever was. Like it, it maintained a price point for such a long time, and it's just one of those planeswalkers that are just good. So, I mean, I. I think you waited a good amount of time. You're already saving a bunch on the playset, so if you need them, I'd say pull the trigger. Yeah, I think you're fine to buy Tezzeret anytime you feel like it and uh, have fun playing with them. Yep. Next question from Kenneth W. I have a question if certain mythics are rarer than others. Eldritch Moon seems to have more mythics per box than past sets. I asked because I got five Decimator of Provinces from my pre-release and prize packs, one box and one fat pack. Well, lucky you because I didn't get anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you got you got Chaz's Decimator of Provinces as well. Um, <laughs> really, I don't. Uh, okay, so small sample size is probably the big issue. It's very odd that you would have gotten five in that amount of product, but it's going to happen. Like you're probably the one in a million that opened five decimators, (laughs) but you are the one. So I don't think it's true that mythics are more or less common than each other. I will say though, that the double faced mythics do throw off the average number per box slightly, because you're still going to get the normal number of regular mythics. Then you're also going to get some number or potentially some number of the flip mythics. So you will get more mythics overall from Eldritch Moon than you would from Battle for Zendikar, for example. Right, and then there's the added, like, you can get a foil flip mythic or a regular foil mythic. So, like you said, it it gets thrown off just because of the the flip mechanics. But yeah, I I don't think, I don't ever really, I don't think there's numbers to back up that any one mythic is more or less, uh, that they show up more than each other. But yeah, I mean, five decimator of provinces, I mean, consider yourself lucky because some people... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh. Next question from Martin N. Uh, this is in uh, in the context of Seth's reserve list article, so making changes to the reserve list. Uh, if if that was to change anything with the reserve list, it changes the whole underlying foundation. That might result in diminished confidence in their product, and so it might be too big of a risk for them to abolish or even change the reserve list. So what this means is they might not have immediate incentive to support old formats, but they also have an interest in not letting them die. So at least until magic is abandoned, uh, they're incentivized to keep it going. So I don't know what the question in there was, but that was a, that was a, that was some commentary that Wizards doesn't want to touch the reserve list and also wants to kind of keep these formats on life support as opposed to just letting them die altogether. So what do you guys think about that? Uh, well, two things, I guess. For one thing, we have, as I mentioned in that article, seen Wizards uh, make changes to the reserve list in the past. In 2002, they took cards off of it so they could reprint uh, Sierra Angel and Juggernaut and some of the old commons and uncommons. Then in 2009 or 10, they closed a loophole so they could no longer print foil versions of reserve list cards. So we have seen multiple cases of Wizards changing the reserve list. So I think there's some historical precedent that says it could happen again. And as far as the old formats dying, I'm to the point now where they're basically just dead. I don't know if they're going to get any more dead than they are now, but if you consider that not that many years ago, we had Legacy every weekend on camera as CG opens and that type of stuff. Where they are now is is already dead in my mind. You get one 
GP a season or year. You get occasionally once per season. Now I think on star city, you get a tournament. You don't get them at the invitationals anymore. So I think this is what, what death looks like for legacy and vintage. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's in the question. They don't really have an incentive. I think like if, Things happen to the reserve list or, like, you know, prices increase or just, you know, things like that. I mean, they just turned a blind eye. They're really – it shows that they're focused on other things. And like Seth said, just to reiterate, I mean, it, it they all, these other formats are basically dead. I mean, the, the writing is on the wall. It has been for a long time. This is what dead looks like. There's no more legacy, like, support on a, on a regular basis. Vintage is all but, like, that – I mean, some people might not even know what that is. At this point, because there's even less coverage of that, and and now modern's not even really on the the pro tour. I mean, it, it, that's something that they they have for players that want to use some of the old cards. They acknowledge it that you know modern is still definitely have like coverage. There's seasons, but I mean, Wizards has definitely honed in on what they want to cover, and I think it's pretty obvious. Yes, yeah, so I wouldn't call vintage and legacy dead. Like extended, extended is dead. Okay, uh, you know, all those weird moto formats, they're dead. But they're kind of just left to fend for themselves, so there's no support from Magic. Sure. Uh, there are local communities that play them, but don't expect Wizards to step in and do anything uh, anytime soon. So that, I think, they're, they're kind of just left there, and they're slowly dying, and eventually they'll be dead. But I think just no more support is where we're at for Legacy and Vintage. Although we did get a Legacy GP with the Triple GP Weekend. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what percentage of players actually play in that. Because you have your choice of three formats that weekend in Vegas. So I think that'll be the next test. And I suspect the answer is not many. Not <laughs> a lot of people will play Standard right. and Modern. But uh, some people will play Legacy. I haven't decided what I would play that weekend if I were to go. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what Legacy looks like a year from now. Because I think... Uh, the support has stopped, so we'll see how far the community can take it. Whether the community can keep it going and see see what it's like a year from now. Something with Gatekeeper of Malakir in it. <laughs> Gatekeeper is a good card. You know what would kill Emrakul? The promised end. Oh yeah, yeah. Richard has found the tech. That's he's, not true at all. They're just gatekeeper no. creatures. Oh yeah, yeah. That's actually more of a liability. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess we use the term dead. I mean, dead in comparison to where it used to be, I guess is a better term. Because like Seth said, I mean, we got to see this all the time. Now we don't. All right. That's it for the fish mail. Great cast this uh, this week. I think we, yeah, we nailed everything we wanted to talk about. Any kind of last minute thoughts? So the, the San Diego Comic-Con promos actually come out tomorrow uh, for, for the Planeswalkers. And I, I sent out a tweet, so the, just using last year as kind of like a gauge, uh, I made my purchase at a la- around 11.30 EST. So just be on the lookout for those of you that have that want the, the San Diego Comic-Con promos, the Planeswalker promos from the Hasbro toy shop. Yeah, that's Tuesday, August the 9th, depending yes. on when you listen to this podcast. So you may be listening right, to right, it Tuesday, after August. they've been on sale. But if you listen <laughs> yeah. to it early, you'll still have time to set yeah. your alarm clock. Yep. So hopefully you get them. Uh, I think there will be a good amount of them to grab. Um, I don't think a lot of people had issues last year, but again, it, it is a finite number, but it's a lot larger than they used to be. So I think that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, this is going to be the crew signing out. We will see you all next time.